Well, welcome uh, back to our, our next uh, second, second week as we meet together separately. It's kind of weird to be a congregation if we can't congregate, but we can uh, together with the Lord. And today we're going to talk about the next uh, passage in our uh, ministry, our, our sermon series through Isaiah, uh, really talking about where is our hope in the midst of this time? You know, in, in times of crisis, we have to ask ourselves, where am I going to turn? And I believe that there's a lot of our neighbors and maybe even ourselves are asking ourselves right now. Even this last week, I have got to talk to a number of folks that have been laid off, uh, a lot of folks that are uh, stuck at home and, and wondering what's next, and uh, there's a lot of fear. What we find today in, in the book of Isaiah is the secret and the power that gives us not just peace, but confidence in times like this. We're also going to discuss today, what is the not-so-secret secret of deliverance? How is God helping us in times like this? And so I encourage you uh, today as uh, we get into this, open your Bible, get into the Word, and uh, let's go to it. Now, of course, we always want to remember our, and remind ourselves of our memory verse for this series that comes to us way back at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, Isaiah 6-3, where he saw the seraphim around the temple of God or the, the throne of God, and they were saying, this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And so now, just as you're at home and all that, why don't we remind ourselves of that truth, because that becomes a foundation for the hope, the very real hope that we have today. So here we go. Say it along with me. Three, two, one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah 6, 3. I'm sure you sound wonderful, but let's crank up the volume because I can't hear you. Here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah 6, 3. One more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah 6, 3. Isn't it awesome that there's not an expiration date on that? That God's glory fills the earth and has from the beginning, and it will pass the end. And it is His holiness that gives us hope in times like this. So if you wouldn't mind, let's take your Bibles and let's open up to Isaiah 37. If you joined us on our website, funchurch.com, there's a little link there to the top uh, on the tab there that's for the Bible. You can click that if you would like to. Uh, if you've joined us on Facebook or on our YouTube channel, probably best, just go grab a Bible and open it up. You'll want to get there. If you have one of our Bibles, uh, took it home with you, that's great. Uh, it's going to be on page page 497. Now, let me give you a little bit of a, a background where we are in this. This is 29 years after the events of Isaiah chapter 9, where we were last week, where we saw God save a very bad king named Ahaz from the hands of the Syrians. And God delivered them from that time. And in that 29 years, a lot of things had happened. One of which is God did deliver the city, just like God had promised for the sake of the promise that he made to King David, Ahaz's ancestor, that God did not allow the Syrian army to come in. In fact, he caused them to go away. The, the northern kingdom didn't come and didn't attack. God miraculously defended Jerusalem in an amazing way. And 
in spite of all that God had done for Ahaz, sparing his life, showing his power in all of this, we read in 2 Chronicles 28 some very bad things about uh, King Ahaz. It says, after this happened, Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. Wow, that's a good thank you. Thank you, God, for saving me. I'm going to cut up your furniture. I'm going to desecrate your holy place. And I'm going to set up pagan worship everywhere. This is the kind of man that King Ahaz was. And no, it wasn't worse. It says in every town in Judah... He built high places. Those are places that people would go and burn sacrifices to pagan gods. And he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. God kept his promise to Ahaz, not because Ahaz deserved it, but because God keeps his promises. God is faithful even when we are not. That is called grace. But Ahaz was an unfaithful king. And the people under Ahaz in that last 29 years after God had saved him miraculously, the people followed him right down that path. As Ahaz set up temples in the city streets, as he set up high places, the people also flocked to those places, forgetting their God and allowing him to shut the temple. And because of this, The nation of Israel, which enjoyed such prosperity under Ahaz's dad and grandfather, it started to dwindle. And yes, God eventually wiped out the northern kingdoms and all of that, and Syria was no longer a threat just like God has promised. (laughs) But just as God has promised, he brought in a new threat, Assyria. And the kingdom of Assyria came down and, well, it, it imposed a lot of bad things upon the people of Israel. As they conquered more and more territory, the people of Israel lost more and more influence. They lost their cities. They lost the coast. They lost their political gains. They lost their economy. And they had to start paying what's called tribute to the true Assyria. So every single month, they would have to send uh, lots of gold and silver and slaves to the king of Assyria so he wouldn't come down and conquer them. And so life under a wicked king and life in a faithless people oftentimes leads to difficult times. But you know, this story isn't about Ahaz. This story is about Ahaz's son, a man named Hezekiah. And as bad as Ahaz was, we read in Second Chronicles chapter 29 about Hezekiah. It says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple and repaired them. Isn't it an amazing thing that God brought this wonderful king after such a horrible one? Sometimes we're not defined by our biological parents, but our heavenly father, and that was Hezekiah. As evil as Ahaz was, Hezekiah was good. In fact, in 2 Kings 18, we read this about Hezekiah. It says, he trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him amongst all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And that's a pretty big statement because that includes King David. And that includes Josiah. 
Hezekiah was an amazing, godly leader. No one like him. In fact, because of his faithfulness to God, we read that he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. What a powerful thing. It is never too late for repentance. It is never too late. There is no nation that could be too far gone to turn their, and turn back to God and to bend their knee to him. And God will bless those who worship him in spirit and in truth. As bad as the nation was, shuttering the doors, cutting the temple uh, furniture into pieces, burning sacrifices at every street corner. There was time for a righteous man and a righteous leader to come back and return the nation's heart to God. And God blessed him. And so we see that, that in the year, it was 715, that Hezekiah became king of Judah. And, the, and as king, there are four major reforms that he originally put in place. The first one that you saw there, the first month that he was in office, he opens up the temple. I think that was amazing. So the first thing he did is he reestablished worship in the temple and said, let's come together and let's worship God again. The second thing he did is he called a national Passover, which was amazing, returning the people to the roots of their faith. The third thing he did is Hezekiah opposed idol worship, and he, he imposed it pretty harshly. He put to death all of those that were the leaders of these pagan religions. He broke down all of the bad altars and destroyed them. And then he also, the last part is he toppled the high places where Baal was worshipped. Something that all of the kings before him had failed to do. He was as righteous of a king as they would come. And he made amazing political or amazing religious reform and started to turn the heart of this wayward nation back to their God. In addition to his religious reforms, Hezekiah also began to have political reforms. In the very next verse, we read that Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Now, a little history as to what this means. It's a big deal. On this map here, you're going to see that, uh, that little uh, area that's south of Samaria. It's yellow now on your map. That is where the kingdom of Judah is, right there between the, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And it kind of stretched from the Dead Sea all the way over to the Mediterranean. And that's where the kingdom of Judah was at. North of them is that purple area. That purple area was the land that was really the kingdom of Assyria that was in Hezekiah's grandfather's day. It was a smaller kingdom, and all of this, it was the kingdom that Tiglath-Pileser III began. But by the end of Tiglath-Pileser's successor, his name was Darius II, Assyria grew and swallowed up the whole area around it. And they were vicious, brutal. And so this was the land of Assyria beginning to come down. And in the year 722, Assyria conquered both us. Assyria conquered both the country of Syria as well as the country of, uh, of Israel. And so with that, 
we have, uh, the, now you have Assyrian Empire is on the doorstep of the, the kingdom of Judah. And then south of Judah, we have the kingdom of, well, actually of Egypt. Very, very powerful. And who's stuck in the middle? And who's king? <laughs> right in the middle of that. And so we have this battle between the north and the south with Judah stuck in the middle and Assyria imposing all of their power. But when Darius II died, and we saw that they grew so rapidly, they, all of that extra territory was under 100 years that they massively grew, that, they, that Hezekiah saw a weakness in Assyria. And he said, you know what? I bet we could stop paying tribute to them. We're going to start becoming strong again. And so what he did is he made an alliance with Egypt to the south because Egypt didn't want to have Assyria come down to be on his border. And so Egypt said, we will protect you. Stop paying tribute to Assyria. And so Josiah did that. And at first, it went really, really well. And all of the kings of all the little cities along the coastal plain, they agreed with Hezekiah, and they stopped paying tribute as well. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't go over very well with the, the new king of Assyria, a man named Sennacherib. And so in the year 715, Sennacherib becomes the, uh, the king of Assyria, and he starts to say, you know what, I want to, uh, I want to get my land back. And so what does he do? Well, he does a couple of things. He starts to attack the plain and all that kind of stuff around there. He makes some threats against Judah. And during this time, under Hezekiah, Judah had done really well militarily. They seemed very strong. They had Egypt at their back. But Hezekiah was smart, and he knew Assyria was big and powerful. So he made a couple of very important uh, things to help him, to prepare them for the inevitable invasion from Assyria. And some of the things that that he does uh, to build for that is he builds a deep shaft. He digs a deep shaft in Jerusalem under the wall that goes to the, the spring, the Gion Spring, that would supply water to Jerusalem if there was ever going to be the attack. And that uh, tunnel is still there. Another thing that he did is he stopped up the springs around Jerusalem so that if the invading armies of Assyria encamped around Jerusalem and tried to, uh, to wait them out, they would run out of water. Another thing that he did is he extended and strengthened the walls of Jerusalem, built them up much stronger, much more powerful. And something else that he did is he invested very heavily in military armor and training, and he built up the armies of Jerusalem, preparing for the inevitable Assyrian invasion. Well, things go well at first, and the country seems secure. All of the things are in place, but Sennacherib becomes king in 704, and by the year 701, three years later, the invasion takes place. And we find down into here, the Assyrian army comes, and the first thing they do is they attack all of the coastal plain, and they destroy all of the cities, everyone that had destroyed 46 cities. And then they go and attack the city that's south of Jerusalem called Lachish. Lachish was a fortified city believed at the time to be impenetrable. It had two giant walls with a, uh, a sloped repeating wall in between. They had massive towers for, for archers and for slingers to put the, for stones and things like this. It was a very, very powerful city. And it stood at the doorpost of the gateway to Jerusalem. And so Sennacherib and his army attacks and conquers Lachish. And that's 
during that battle is when today's story takes place. Now, spoiler alert, Lachish falls. They uh, weren't able to stand. Uh, the, the Assyrian army was so powerful that there is this uh, stone that Sennacherib even built. It's the, the Sennacherib stone. And on that stone, Sennacherib actually testifies about how, what a great victory he had over the uh, king of, uh, of Judah. And it says on the Sennacherib stone, this is what it says. It says, as to Hezekiah the Jew, did he not submit to my yoke? I laid siege to 47 of his strong cities, walled forts, and to countless small villages in their vicinity and conquered them. This testifies directly with the the Old Testament, which also says is exactly what took place. 46 strong cities, Lachish being the strongest of which, he conquered viciously, horribly. And so the story picks up that you have the Assyrian army that's only a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. The Assyrian army is conquering every fortified town along the way. Hezekiah is in the middle of Jerusalem, this man who turned back to God, a a man who, who in his faithfulness turned to God, and now he sees this godly army destroying this nation that he worked so hard to return to faith, this nation that that had followed him. And so we read uh, about uh, this time that, uh, that Hezekiah, he was kind of heartbroken, worried. It looked like the things of the world, that the, the, the problems of the world had come from a distant land and was now on his doorstep. It couldn't be ignored. Sound familiar? The Assyrian army was the most powerful military in the history of earth at that time. Imagine you were Hezekiah sitting there watching this happen every day, hearing report after report of another city falling, another town falling, uh, more of your generals falling, another portion of your country being taken hostage and destroyed. Imagine being inside the walls of Jerusalem, waiting for the inevitable. Hundreds of thousands of enemy soldiers are are just now within a three days march of Jerusalem. Your capital is a fortress That is a heavy prize for this Assyrian king. Sennacherib has you in his crosshairs. And nothing seems to be able to stop him. Times couldn't be more desperate, more bleak, more filled with fear. In fact, I can imagine Hezekiah and his leadership, that his people, as they saw these things happen, they began to panic. They go out and they they start maybe to to, uh, address Hezekiah and try to talk him into giving up. I imagine many would say, listen, why don't you just submit to the Assyrians? Yes, they'll kill you, but they'll save us. The pressure to back away from his reforms, and I imagine even his God was probably pretty heavy. And yet Hezekiah was a believer in God. And we read that he did not waver from the ways of Moses. He continued to follow the Lord his God even in the midst of this. He would try to comfort his people. God will save us. I'm sure he would have told them. Our God is real. But all they could see is the Assyrian army destroying their countrymen, causing fear and panic and destruction. The news was bleak. And if it wasn't bad enough, as Lachish is under attack, it's falling All of a sudden, you get a messenger outside of your city, a commander of the Assyrian army, which is basically 
the conversation we read in chapter 36. And this commander stands outside of the army at this very same place. The commander's in the the laundryman's field, the same place where Ahaz was met by Isaiah just a few chapters ago, last week's message. And he's standing there in the field and he's calling up over the wall where all the people of Jerusalem could hear him. And his message in chapter 36, if I can summarize, is this. He says, give up. We're three days away. We're finishing up on Lachish and you're next. Give up. And then this commander, he goes on to explain why Hezekiah and the people should give up. The first reason they should give up is it says your allies aren't going to help you. That there is no Egypt to the rescue. Remember, as they came down the coast, they went south and then they came back up from the south to attack Lachish. Egypt wasn't coming to the rescue. And he knew it. And the Assyrians knew it. And the people in Jerusalem knew it. And I said, if you thought that you're going to be saved by another nation, think again. The second thing that he says is give up because your king won't save you. Your king's not there. Hezekiah, look what a great leader he has been. He he took down all of your your places of worship, right? He, He did all these things, his reforms, and promised you that he was going to do with this stuff. And it was good for a while, but he stopped paying tribute to a real king in Sennacherib. And now your countrymen are dead. Why are you going to follow a leader like that? Hezekiah can't save you. And then the king of Assyria, or the the messenger from Assyria, went one step too far, and he said this, your God won't save you either. It's like, you know, all those other places that we captured, all those other countries that we captured, guess what? They had gods too, and all those gods got burned up. We've got a trophy room for some of them. Why do you think your God's going to save you? So don't tell us that there's some kind of spiritual thing. There's an army here at your door, and you're about to die. Give up. And so, with the army threatening from the outside, discouraging all of the people of Jerusalem who can hear him from the walls, Hezekiah receives this message. And that's where we pick up our story in chapter 37. And this is what it says. When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, the leading priest, they all wore sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. And they told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words that this field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for his words, the Lord your God has still heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. And they were the last standing city in Jerusalem, fortified city in Israel was Jerusalem. And it's interesting that Hezekiah, he goes and he reaches out to the prophet. And he says, listen, God, we want you to save us. But ultimately, they've ridiculed you. And the threat was a real threat. I mean, when Hezekiah sent that, there was, you can see why he was so panicked. Lachish was 
was basically fallen at that point. There was nothing standing between them and the Assyrian army. And in the midst of that, in the midst of this hopeless situation, God sent an impossible promise through, the, through Isaiah. It says here in verse 8, it says, uh, oh, verse 5, it says, When Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and I will have him cut down by the sword. What a great promise. God says, in the midst of this, when it makes no sense, no sense, he says, have peace. I know what they're saying. Don't worry about it. I got this. And that's great. That is really great, except for in verse 8, then we read, when the field commander had heard the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting in Libna. Now for us, we don't know where those places are. It doesn't mean something. But to Hezekiah, it really did. See, Lachish now had fallen. That's what it means, that this mighty fortress city had fallen, and there was a little tiny town six miles away from Lachish named Libna that was now under attack. The Assyrian army was en route. God said, don't worry about it. I got it, that, that uh, you're going to have uh, the king of Sennacherib's going to hear a report and he's going to go home. He's going to go away. He's not going to come near you. And the very next thing we find is he's actually coming closer. <laughs> well, then we read the unexpected. Verse 9, now Sennacherib re- received a report that Tiraka, king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. And when he heard it, he sent a messenger to Hezekiah with this word. First thing is that he hears that Cush is going to come up to fight him. He hears that report that the prophet had, had promised. And the promise is this, is that there was going to be a report that was going to cause Sennacherib uh, to go home. Well, he heard that Cush was on its way to fight him. Well, Cush came from the south. Cush is in the area what we now know as Ethiopia. Would have gone up through. The Egyptians weren't going to help, but the armies of Cush didn't want to... Uh, Uh, Assyria to come down there. So they were on their way, marching up to fight them from the south. Well, notice this puts uh, Sennacherib in a pincer. (laughs) He has got, uh, he's got an army now marching from the south, and he's got Jerusalem and its armies in the north. And so Sennacherib can't divide his army. He's got fighting on two fronts, and we know how well that works. And so what does he do? He knows he's got to go fight the Cush army, and so he's going to turn around, but he doesn't want the king of, of Assyria, he doesn't want them to have a morale boost. And so he, he says this, when, when Sennacherib received the report, he sent a word to Hezekiah, and it says this, verse 10, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Maybe Sennacherib heard what the prophet Isaiah had proclaimed. And he says, don't trust your God. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to crush Cush, and I'm coming for you. And then he goes on again, and he says, Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed and my predecessors delivered them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezpa, the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where are the kings of Hamath, the kings of Arpad? Where's the king of Lyre, Shepira, Hena, and Iva? 
He lists up all the places that he had basically and his armies had destroyed. They all had gods too. And he says, I'm coming back. And don't you dare trust your God. I'm going to come get you. Now, at times like this, we have a difficult situation. There are times in our life where God has made a promise. And we have to trust that promise in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary. And everything against God seems to be screaming and crying out and showing us, testifying, God is not enough. The faith is tested. The faith is tested. And that's exactly where Hezekiah was. And so in verse 14, we see what this godly king does in the midst of this faith test. Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger and he read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God of over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all their, these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wooden stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Hezekiah could have done a lot of things. When he heard that the Assyrian king was going to go south with his armies, he could have tucked tail and ran. He could have got his holy palace. He could have snuck out of the city. He could have had an evacuation. He could have, instead of trying to save himself, he could have said, all right, they're going to attack from the south. We're going to attack from the north. We're going to crush him in our own power against all hope. Let's go get him. This is our own chance. He could have done that. But instead of responding, retreating into fear and self-preservation, instead of fighting and looking to his own strength, at this point, he had done everything he could. He had done everything he could to prepare his people. He did the one thing that was necessary, the one thing that was left. He went to God. He said, I've done everything, but we all know this. this everything I can do is good, but it's not enough. And he took his problem before God. You see, he went to the temple and he laid out the letter before God. How important is it for us to go to God with our problems and not hide them? Isn't it Jesus who says, hey, come and share with me all of your brokenness, all of your shame, all of your pain, all of your fear. Our God is an amazing God and he welcomes us to come. And I notice how Hezekiah comes. He doesn't go to, to, the, to the Lord and, and some kind of false pomp or false joy. He goes to God and he lays out the letter and he says, this is real. He said, uh, you know what? Sennacherib's right. They have destroyed all those lands. They have burned up all of those other gods. He was real about what he was saying. And this was no small faith exercise. Remember, Sennacherib would probably be beheaded after he watched his family be tortured to death before his own eyes. It was not a small thing to place faith in God and the faith of this prophet who had said, you know what, they're not going to reach you. He says to God, all of this is true. But he also reminds himself of the truth of who God is. He says, but those weren't real gods. But you are. They couldn't save. But you can. In the midst of our problems, this is why Scripture tells us we're not to worry about anything. 
doesn't mean don't be concerned. It says don't meditate consistently thinking about how awful things might be. It says we're going to realize the world is broken and that the world is a bad place sometimes. And it is scary, but we have a real God that we can go to. And we could lay out our problems before him. And as we do, it says to pray without ceasing. It says that as we pray, we're not supposed to worry. We're supposed to give thanks. Not for the problems, but because of the God who is with us in the midst of our problems. To say to God, maybe in this time, Lord, it is true. I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. Lord, it's true. I don't know if this virus is going to come and it's going to get us. Lord, it is true. I don't know when we're finally going to be set free from this. Lord, it's true. I don't know when the stock market's going to come back up. These are all true things. But I'm grateful that you're the God of the universe and that you're powerful and that you made a promise to us, your followers. It says if, if we seek you, your kingdom and righteousness above all else, we're not going to be like the rest of the world who follow and worship these false things and put their hope into false things. It says that we're not going to worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or where we're going to live or what we're going to wear. That you, our God, will take care of them. That is a promise. We pray with thanksgiving. There's a virus, but our God is the God of healing. He, can't just, he doesn't just heal viruses. He can raise the dead if he wants to. Our God is powerful. We're grateful that our God is present. He doesn't live on some mountain just in Jerusalem, but here as well. And so, like Hezekiah, we walk boldly into the throne room. And we lay out our problems before God. And our Heavenly Father, He hears us. And I want you to see the answer that God has given in verse, in verse 21, it says, Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And God speaks and hears us in our trouble. It says, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Don't miss that passage. Because you prayed to me. In the midst of our panic, are we taking time? Are we taking time to go to God, laying out our problems, saying, God, we need your help. We've done everything we can, but we need you. God's not going to impose his will in your life, but he loves it when we ask him, we include him into our lives. And because we, we asked him, because he was asked, look what it says. This is the word of God. It says, virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Now he's talking to the Assyrian king Sennacherib. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. It's like, oh, you think you're so tough? Even our little girls mock you. Who is it that you blasphemed and ridiculed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Ah, against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, my, the most, uttermost heights of Lebanon, and I have cut down the tallest cedars and the choicest junipers. And he goes on and he says, listen, in, you bragged that you did all of these wonderful, amazing, powerful things. You thought that was your own power? <laughs> Read verse 26. Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In the days of old I planned it, and now I have brought it to pass. That you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Oh, Sennacherib, you silly. I'm way ahead of you. And what is he talking about there? Oh, only the promise that we preached about, got to listen to last week. All those years ago when Ahaz was standing there, God gave the promise and said that you're going to have a child is born, a son is given, he's going to deliver you. But guess what? 
Assyria is going to come down and going to humiliate you, but he's not going to kill you. And he says, oh, you, you think you, you're a step ahead of me? Mm-mm. It's my will that is being done. You can't outsmart me. And so we go down to verse 28 and we see this. God says, I know where you are and I know where you come and you go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because of your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth and I will make you turn, return by the way you came. That's the word of God. Now, when this was spoken, remember Hezekiah was on his knees, on his face in the temple with a letter before him that was dispelling out his own death. Everything pointed against God delivering him. But Hezekiah received a promise from God and in the midst of everything, all the, the, the evidence to the contrary, Hezekiah believed God. And guess what? Jerusalem wasn't attacked. And it was a crazy cool thing. It wasn't even the armies of Ethiopia that did the saving. That was just the certain report that turned Sennacherib back. That God was going to bring a deliverance so powerful, so amazing, that no one would be able to deny that it was God and the God alone who delivered his people. Verse 36. It says, Then the angel of the Lord went out, and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And the people got up the next morning. There were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh, and he stayed there. Put a hook in his nose. Now, it's pretty rough if you lose 185,000 soldiers just overnight. Probably put the fear of God into you. It certainly did. But not enough. Remember, God's promise wasn't that he was just going to return the king, Sennacherib, back to the land he came from. He said he was going to kill him by the sword. (laughs) And how did that happen? This king, this powerful king of this massive empire, surrounded by all of his supporting people. Verse 38. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons came and killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Arat. And one of his other sons succeeded him as king. (laughs) You cannot escape the sovereignty and the power of God. And so God kept his promise. The most remarkable, most amazing ways. 185,000 dead overnight. The army comes back, humiliated. Can't even fight Cush. They miss out on the big treasure. They can't get Jerusalem, who now sits there and mocks them. And a bonus, well, Sennacherib gets killed right in front of his God. I guess his God wasn't strong enough to protect him. What's the point of this? It's an interesting story, isn't it? And it's backed up by history. I love that, as the Bible always is. It tells the truth. What's the point of this story that we gain from it that gives us hope? The point is this. God's name is holy. God's name is not like any other name. Our God is not like any other God because our God is holy, holy, holy. He's not like the gods of these foreign nations that can't save them. He's not the God of of weakness. He's not a God that we created. Our God is the God who created us, and he is powerful. It matters who we pray to, which is why at this particular time, it is essential for us to check what's at the center of our heart and our lives. Who's on the throne of your heart? I think for a lot of us, we had a wake-up call, pretty rude. In the midst of the world falling down around us, 
Some of us accidentally had the stock market there. Some of us had our youth, our health. Some of us had the strong economy. Some of us thought, well, we've got our neighbors or we've got other things that's there. That's where we're going to draw our strength from. Those are great things, but let's remember that all things serve our God. In the midst of this time, when so many things have been stripped away, your peace does not need to be stripped away because your God has not been stripped away. We serve a real God, a real God who put on real flesh, a real God who who died on behalf of our sins, a real God who was resurrected again into real new life, a real God who has given us the real Holy Spirit, His presence indwelling each one of us, a real God who has given us real promises that He will take care of those that are His as long as we seek Him, follow Him. A real God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We serve a powerful God, but the name of God matters. Let us be careful and cautious, brothers and sisters, that we don't turn to the false gods of this world. Medicine is good. God will save. God can direct medicine to make it things great. God can direct and, and, and challenge and change hearts and lives and, and can do amazing things through those things, but our hope needs to be in God first. The economy is good. The economy is a great thing. It can help a lot of people, but it should not be our God. Health, it's a good thing. Even youth, while you have it, it's a great thing. But trust in the one who can help us. In the midst of this time, not turning to our own power and ability, let's turn to the God who can save us. And so trust in the Lord our God. Lay out our problems before him. That's the invitation this week. Can you take your problems and your worries even this morning and lay them out before our God who hears us and has the power to save us? Be honest. With your fears, tell God where you're at. He'll hear you. He also has the power to respond. And as he answers, obey him, listen to him, lean into him. Remember, faithfulness always precedes deliverance. So be faithful. This is not a time to retreat behind our walls and to wait for the army to go away. This is a time for us to invite God into these city walls and to save us. And so, as I bring this message portion to a close, I'm going to challenge you to take some uh, next steps as we go through this. The first thing is, why don't you take this week and memorize and think about Isaiah 6.3? God is not like the stock market. He's not. Why don't we uh, remember that, let's read in Isaiah, let's go through that time. Let's take our opportunity to, to, to spend time in God's word and see how he delivers his people. In the midst of all of this, let's also take your problems and lay them out before God. Can you do that this week? Can you commit to do that? Can we commit to serving one another and, and through this time? You know, I tell you what, as you make those commitments and maybe some different ones that are on the connection card as well, uh, which is going to be, if you're on our website, funchurch.com, it's going to be on the, the tab there. I encourage you to fill that out with our connection card. And please let us know that you're here. And as you do that, let us know how we can pray for you. And if you are on our, our website, uh, not our website, but uh, Facebook, or you are on YouTube, our YouTube channel, uh, why don't you take a moment on, and in the uh, memo line, the, the destruction line, the instruction line below, uh, that'll help you as a link there to our connection card. Fill that out. Let us know your commitments so we can be praying with you this week. Let's build the kingdom of God as we turn to him for our salvation.
In there, there's also a place that we'd ask you to give. Uh, it's another way that we trust in the Lord <laughs> with all of our hearts. And so in this time, uh, we have a lot of our members that are suffering and struggling. And so uh, giving generously, uh, giving abundantly, uh, we would like to be able to love our communities. So we thank you for that. There's a link there on the tab on our website. There's a uh, button there that says give on funchurch.com. You can go there. Uh, in the Facebook and YouTube, in the description line below, there's a link as well. But make sure you're not just giving. Make it an expression of your worship and appeal to the God who can save us. Give in his name. Pray in his name. And let's see the name of our God be glorified in and through this. Please join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy, your presence, your power. Lord, I'm grateful that we get to serve you and you alone, a true living God, and that your name is not like the names of anything else in this world. You have a holy name. You're different. You are real and you are powerful. And so, Father, we trust in you. You came and died for our sins, but you also came to save us in this life and through this life for your glory. So, Father, I pray this week your blessing, your power over our congregation and this community. Father, deliver us from the threat of this pestilence. Deliver us from the threat of, of all of the fears and the worries that we had and empower us to serve you in and through this time. Gift us with opportunities to show your light and love in this community. And Father, as we made commitments today, help us to keep those in a way that brings joy into our homes and into this community and shows the world that you are true, the true living God. And we pray all of this in the powerful, wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.